Welcome, everyone. This is the Fan Checkdown. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you for the next hour. And we've got lots to get to. It's Friday. We made it through a week, Donovan. They didn't kick us off the air. These are good things. They didn't. And I got to say, we've heard it a bunch, but the intro song is strong. Like, that's all you. You picked it out. It just sounds like football. It does. And it's funny because when I was picking them out, my wife, I said, what do you think about these? And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't know that I like that one or this one. I'm like, yeah, you're not really my target audience. You, you, <laughs> don't, you don't know the NFL films vibe that I'm going for here. Right. And it uh, turns out that a lot of people enjoyed it. So that's good. Uh, coming up on the show today, Mike Evans camp puts a, a timetable on extension talks. Cooper Cup has a setback with his hamstring injury. Joe Montana gives his thoughts on who the greatest quarterback of all time is. And uh, his, well, his answer might surprise you. We're also going to talk about Jonathan Gannon and the Arizona Cardinals and his comments. Uh, not comments, but a, a piece of audio that we're going to play. And Donovan hasn't heard it yet, so... This will be a very genuine reaction that I'm looking for. Uh, Donovan's favorite thing of the week that we're going to do, AFC South preview. Next week, his favorite thing will be the NFC South preview. If you haven't caught the other ones, uh, we did the rest of the AFC Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And in the second block, Mike Yam, host of NFL Total Access on NFL Network, will join us and we'll uh, have a little banter about the league and see what the heck is going on all over the place because there's lots going on. So let's let's kick things off with this report. Um, and now it was Rick Stroud that put it out last night that negotiations between Mike Evans and the Bucks are not going well. Could very well be his last season in Tampa. And Adam Schefter, I believe it was, came out today and said, oh, there is a deadline here. And that is a week one deadline. So it's kind of close. Yep. I can't see a situation where Mike Evans is in Tampa past this season. Mike Evans has been... I would say the most consistent receiver in the NFL over the course of the last, what, eight seasons? All the guy does is have 1,000-yard seasons, even with some bad quarterback play. Is this the last season for Mike Evans, do you think, in, in Tampa? Yes, and it has been a great run. You talk about his consistencies, nine seasons. He's gone over 1,000 yards every single year. No other player in NFL history has done that That's good, right? more than six times to start their career. So all he did was be really consistent. He was the other guy at AM when he played with Johnny Manziel. He was mm-hmm. the guy yeah, we forget for about Tampa that. Bay. With, to your credit, a lot of different quarterbacks and obviously had the consistency of Brady only for a couple years. Here's the problem. It's Tom Brady. It's one thing to want money, but there has to be Money to give you. And I'm no, I'm not talking about Canada soccer fighting with their players. I'm talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs are carrying over $75 million of dead money on their salary cap. Almost <laughs> half of that is to Tom Brady, who, if he was inclined, could be calling Bucks games uh, this fall, which he won't be doing either. So uh, there really isn't a great resolution. You can make a week one deadline, a week 11 deadline. I, I don't think he's going to be there. And I understand from the club's perspective, one of the m- worst mistakes you can make in sports, specifically football, is paying a player for past performance. He has been really consistent. He has been outstanding. But do you project that's going to be the case moving forward? And even if it is, 
what good is it to have a 17, 18, 19 million dollar receiver on a team that that's not winning? Well, the question becomes, what is Mike Mike Evans worth at this point in his career? He's thirty years old, and uh, you and I are both older than thirty. So we yes. and we can't say that we are on the decline of our careers. We're just getting started. Well, but, physically, yeah. Fi- oh, but, I sure am on the decline. I, I went for a five k run this morning, and I was like, "Man, this didn't always used to be this hard." I so you said you went on a five k run. I can't spell five k. That's how much <laughs> I run. My physique would tell you as much. But we know what happens after receivers turn thirty, and it's not like right at thirty. Because it's going to be, I feel like it's also going to be really hard to judge Mike Evans' play at, at in his year 30 season because of the quarterback issues that we all, before the season starts, the quarterback issues we know Tampa Bay is going to have with Baker Mayfield starting. And then I'm assuming Kyle Trask is going to make some starts in there as well. So I think it's going to be really hard to judge that. But if he goes anywhere else, I can't imagine he signs anything more than Kind of what DeAndre Hopkins did this year. And granted, DeAndre Hopkins is a couple of years older. And I would make the argument that has been a better receiver over the course of his, you know, the last, let's say, three years. Okay, DeAndre Hopkins has been the better receiver. But what's what's that worth? Like, is, is Mike Evans going to get $18 million on a one-year deal? I can't see that. It's going to be a very bonus-laden contract. But as teams look at him like Mike Evans at this moment in time feels like a guy who's going to get traded before the trade deadline. Hopkins is a very interesting comp Two very different players and Hopkins, someone who has always run the entire your route tree. Mm-hmm. Evans, someone who essentially is running nine balls. That's how he's made his money. And he's been very good at it. Very good at it. Fades, you know, in, in the, the red zone. zone. Yeah. Very good at it. <laughs> and I, I guess when you project that out, well, he's not getting any shorter. So theoretically, he can still do that. But the explosion in terms of getting up and going and get the ball and and surviving contact, well, that could go away. Hopkins never really had separation. He was all about being a great, you know, someone with body control and hands. But I think the actual comp for Mike Evans to extend his career would be Keyshawn Johnson. Someone who was a dominant number one, a dominant wideout when he was with the Jets. But later in his career, whether it was also in Tampa or eventually in Dallas, someone who moved into the slot essentially became slop boy and ran slants and used the big body that way and you know used motion to get a little bit more leverage and angles. The problem, and we talked about this with fullbacks, is Keyshawn Johnson had no issue being a factor in the run game blocking. Mm-hmm. And I don't foresee Mike Evans being a factor that way. So it'll be interesting to see how he's utilized moving forward and if that can extend his valuableness to an offense. And the other thing that will extend his value is what quarterback he goes to play. Well, and that's going to, and that's going to be a very important piece here for Mike Evans. Like he's going to look at trying to even think of a situation. Like, does he look at a team maybe like Houston after next season? Does he, and, and being that, you know, he played college, like you said, at Texas A&M. Maybe that's a spot. Maybe, I don't even want to say it, but maybe the Dallas Cowboys is a place that he may look at. Like, there are options that he could go to, but I think that Mike Evans is going to be very, very particular about where he goes. The only only advantage he really has over DeAndre Hopkins is, and let's face it, DeAndre Hopkins went where he was going to get paid the most, not for the team that has the best quarterback, because Ryan Tannehill, well, he's poo-poo. But... 
I look at at Mike Evans and say he has two years on DeAndre Hopkins. That is his only advantage right now. So another team, and I, and I found interesting, you talked about you know, Texas and whatnot. You mentioned the Houston Texans and not the Dallas Cowboys who are in state. But the only team actually I think is in the division with the Cowboys where, where I would see, man, that would be a real nice landing spot, even though they made a big deal of the fact that they gave away the number 13 recently to Jalen Hyatt, the New York football giants. They have a thousand slots. They they need oh someone God. to win. They're very slotty. On the outside. Very slotty. <laughs> so imagine him taking over the number from Odell Beckham Jr. Or now, I guess, Jalen Hyatt and wearing 13 in New York. You don't have to be a dominant number one in the same way. Just give Daniel Jones another target. Uh, a legit yes. target. Yeah. Okay, another wide receiver, Cooper Cup, another setback here. Well, not another setback, but has a setback with the hamstring injury. The Rams aren't going to be very good. Cooper Cup is not a spring chicken, much like Mike Evans. Is this something that we're going to be talking about a lot this year? Cooper Cup in and out of the lineup, soft tissue injury. I, I hope not, but we're already talking about it, and we haven't played any real games yet, and you haven't had the quick turnaround, short week. You haven't had him running 60 routes a, a, a game. Cooper Cup, you mentioned the age of 30. He's 30. Yeah. I think people forget that because he's a little bit of a late bloomer, had an explosion out of nowhere, but this is a guy who was a four-year college guy and then took his way to work his way up in the NFL, and he does need explosion. He does need change of direction in order to win, and mentioned it with Joe Burrow yesterday, these soft tissue injuries, even when you're back from them, you're not back from them because they tend to linger, they tend to creep up, and then they tend to impact you mentally. Can I go from third to fifth gear when I need to and not at all wonder if I'm going to feel a little twinge? Yeah. So uh, this is something that's, you know, going to be something we should monitor. I would be knocking him down a couple tiers in terms of where you're drafting him in fantasy because of this. Because also, let's talk about this team. This is a team with, depending on what your feelings of Higby are, have anywhere from three to four good football players on it. Now, they're really good. You might be generous. But they're yeah. really good. But it's them and then a bunch of guys who are just happy to be in the league. It, it is not out of the realm of possibility that they're out of contention with a month left in the season. So he's someone, again, whether it's it's fantasy or not, that they could shut down, especially if these injuries are lingering. So I, I am very concerned if I am a Cooper Cup fantasy owner and, and all of you crazy people who have already done your drafts. I had one last night. Of course it you did. didn't go that well. I did some of it. Well, that's because uh, you were playing hockey while yeah, you were drafting. I know. I actually did make a couple of picks or at least tried to. From the bench? Yeah, I did. That's D-Gen stuff, buddy. So, um, not really a bold prediction here, but I will say that Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Sean McVay are not members of the LA Rams after this season. Wow. So, maybe it is a bold you, thing. You didn't even say Aaron Donald. Who, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, and, and Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald as well. So, there you go. Wow. Those four guys will not be a part of the LA Rams after this season. It's just... it's. Sean McVay is not going to win anything this year, and you know that he has that cushy broadcasting job waiting for him. 
Because with what they're paying guys to be broadcasters, not us, NFL <laughs> broadcasters, why would you want to be a coach now? He's he's already won. He got the big enchilada. He has a Super Bowl ring. Why would you want to coach after doing that when you're getting paid this much money? Sure, you get criticism as a broadcaster, but nowhere near the same criticism as you get as a coach. Because you think you're great at it. Uh, Remember, people early were comparing him to Belichick yeah, when they well, saw each other in the Super Bowl, which obviously is ridiculous. But if you're the one who's the recipient of the praise, that's going to gas you up. And, and look at his coaching tree. So... I could see some ego where it's like, I'm going to be in a booth. All of these guys that I helped raise get jobs. They're going to be winning on Sundays, and, and I'm not. Yes, the money, no no question. I, I think if he does go to the broadcast booth, it is the John Gruden route, and he is in some ways a Gruden disciple where he does it for a bit, people love him, gets more money than anybody could spend, and then gets that itch. And when the right situation shows up for the right amount of money for the right owner who will back up the – Brings Chubb like the Davis family will. Uh, he goes back as coach. That, uh, the New England Patriots is a team that sticks out Ooh. to me. Because I, I, as much as I think Bill O'Brien might be that guy, they want to, I think that Robert Kraft would want a big, big splash. And Sean McVay would be that guy. But Sean McVay's got to spend a year in the broadcast booth before that happens, which is entirely possible. Do you want to be the guy after the guy? Oh, if you have the ego, man. If you think that you're that good, you look at it and go, yeah, I can do it. I wouldn't do it. I'm, I ain't a sucker. I was born at night, not last night. I'm not that guy. But I, I think that Sean McVay would. I'm not saying that he's arrogant, but Sean McVay is very confident in his abilities. How about that? And does he bring the guy that holds on to his waistband to pull him back off the sidelines? Does he bring that guy with him wherever he goes? <laughs> he has to. The get back coach? Yeah, the get back coach. Uh, let's get to this one because we do have to do a divisional preview before this. And I feel like this conversation is probably going to take us a couple minutes. So Joe Montana, uh, he did a, a an interview for Men's Health. And he was asked, I guess, who the greatest quarterback of all times. So he did not name himself. But he said it was Dan Marino. Now, Joe Montana is a little bit older. I think at one point he did say it was Tom Brady. And now he's changed his tune. So said, put Marino into today's game where he gets free release and his receivers, holy cow, weren't very big. Now these guys are 6'4", 6'5". I think Marino is probably one of the most unsung heroes of the game. People don't talk enough about him or realize the numbers that he put up during the times that he put them up. Fair argument. Fine. I get it. But is there a chance that he meant the most talented quarterback and not the best quarterback because that is an entirely different conversation. I don't know what he meant I, because <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback. So no, uh, I mean, I, you could argue John Elway his ability to run and pass on the run. His ability to play baseball, his ability to play baseball and use that as leverage to go to where he wants to go in the NFL. It's the most talented quarterback, not the most talented NFL executive. However, Joe Montana's real answer is, Joe Montana, but he didn't want to say that. But he certainly didn't want to say what has been essentially the baseline answer for most, which is Tom Brady. So he just said someone else from his era, pointing out why his era could play at a high, if not higher level than current players, which essentially is bigging up himself, but he's not saying himself. But like, like how far do you want to do this exercise, 
Joe. Terry Bradshaw, if people weren't trying to concuss him on a cement field, I'm sure he would have put up better stats too. You can do that constantly with the errors, specifically in football, because it's not just the difference in training and offensive play design. It's the difference in the rules, to, to, to his point. But no, it's Dan Marino's not the best quarterback ever. You could make an argument. Dan Marino is three, four, five in his own era. Mm, yeah. Montana. Jim Kelly would be in that conversation. John Elway's in that. John Elway's in that conversation. D- d- depending on where you draw the line on eras, but Steve Young, Troy Aikman. Oh, I knew you were going to do it. Do what? I knew you were going to do it, do Troy what? Aikman. Stop it. Ex- excuse me? <sighs> Troy Aikman's. Troy Aikman's Joe Troy, Burrow before Joe Burrow. Troy Aikman does not have Hall of Fame numbers. Troy Aikman got. Troy Aikman. He's got what, Hall of Fame rings? He, yeah, sure he does. But. How much of Troy Aikman was because he had Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin? A lot. I would argue you could flip that around. Uh, if, is Michael Irvin Michael Irvin without without Troy Aikman? Here's what I will is, say. Is, Here's what is, I will say. Jay Novacek. Jay yes. Novacek. Well, okay, is, that's a different conversation. Michael Irvin is still Michael Irvin without Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman is. Here's a, here, here's here you go. Here's one. Jim Kelly was a better quarterback than Troy Aikman. Not on, in when playing in the Super Bowl. I'm talking. Sure I'm talking. Well, none of the Bills were when they played in the Super Bowl. I'm talking about sheer talent. Jim Kelly was better than Troy Aikman. Well, if we're talking about sheer offenses, Jim Kelly had better receivers than Troy Aikman. Oh well, that's it, it, that's a fact. Jim Kelly in the K gun. Are you putting James Lofton in that com- end of career James Lofton in that conversation? Yes, uh, you have a great receiving running back that was a, a better receiving running back than... I love Thurman. I love Thurman. Okay, that's a debate for another day. Who's the most talented quarterback of all time? Strike up the pole. The, the most talented? <laughs> yeah. Like, just physically? Talented. Because that's a different conversation. Oof. I mean, I just said that it's... Patrick Mahomes, but just God-given gifts. Like, you went through the conveyor belt of physical talent twice when God was handing it out. Michael Vick. I was just going to say that. Michael Vick. Yeah. Michael Vick, go watch Virginia Tech, Michael Vick, where he's playing against Florida State, all future NFL players, essentially, and he's one of two future NFL players for Virginia Tech, and is just running around making plays. People forget because he wasn't as accurate how strong his arm was. Yeah. He Michael Vick was incredible. I w- Michael Vick went to jail for multiple years and came back and was still a above average quarterback. Yeah, I I don't like why he went to jail. Well, nobody I mean, does. What a horrible horrible thing. How could you do that to dogs? Anyway, I will make the case that Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback of all time and could have rivaled Tom Brady as the GOAT, because when we look at the numbers, Aaron Rodgers' numbers, like when you look at the TD to interception ratio, you look at the quarterback rating, all of those things, Aaron Rodgers is the GOAT for that. If Aaron Rodgers had better coaching, had a better head coach than Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers would be in the conversation as the GOAT. So I somewhat agree with you, but my definition is different. I have long argued that the person who played the position at the highest level, 
in terms of the degree of difficulty of what they were doing, complexity, the level of sophistication of the throws, not, not just who put up the most stats for the most wins, but who was doing high-level calculus at the position. I think it went from Steve Young, who, yes, Montana truthers did not have the same success, but I think was talent-wise, yes, talent-wise in terms of in, in terms of the types of throws and how he was throwing on the run and how athletic he was too. It goes from Steve Young, and then I think Aaron Rodgers takes the prototype and goes a little bit further with it. But I think now Mahomes is taking it that much further. Yeah, and I Mahomes not saying that I'm not taking away from anything from Patrick Mahomes, but he has the benefit of Andy Reid as his coach as well. But that's not helping him make no-look passes. No, 100%. I'm just saying in terms of the overall body of work, when we're talking about stats and rings and, yes, 100%. Totally agree. Okay, AFC South preview. This one won't take us very long. It sucks. It sucks. The the Jags are the class of this division. Trevor Lawrence in year three. Year two under a real head coach and an adult in Doug Peterson and not Urban Meyer. They add Calvin Ridley and Auburn product Tank Bigsby to a group of playmakers that is actually pretty good. Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, Travis Etienne. Are they by far and away the best team in the division? Yeah, they could line up and have a 4 by 100 team for the United States track team at the Paris Olympics if they wanted to. So many skills. You got Trevor Lawrence coming into his own, and Ridley gives him a true number one, even though they gave Kirk number one money a year ago. He's going to be even better, and, and actually performed much better than I thought he would, sliding into that number two spot. In the preseason, Lawrence to Ridley, 5 for 5, 71 yards, 14.2 per attempt. I'm so excited for that combination between the two. Okay, Tennessee, I think we both have as the number two team in this division. Uh, that's just the Mike Vrabel tax. Like well, I believe in the coach. So, so I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say the same thing. He's had one losing season in five years, and that was last year because, let's face it, he didn't really have a quarterback after Ryan Tannehill got hurt, and that's not his fault. Is Mike Vrabel in the Mike Tomlin conversation that as long as he is there, I expect this team to be at 500 at worst? For sure. I think the only difference is he doesn't have the ring. Yeah. And he also didn't have the benefit of coaching a Hall of Fame QB. But, yeah, I, I think they're very similar. I think it's a great comp. Yeah, I, I really like – I mean, I hate to say it, but I think Mike Vrabel is a good coach because I don't have expectations for Tennessee every year, and they manage to do it. My concern or curiosity is what happens with Derrick Henry. Do the wheels finally fall off? How much does uh, Tajay Spears play like to, to give – Derrick Henry a breather, I think that team goes as far as Derrick Henry will allow them to, even with DeAndre Hopkins there. We've been wondering if the wheels were going to fall off for five years. Because he gets like a thousand carries a year. He does. And runs so upright. And hard. Like he is a... It goes without saying. He's a monster. So I'm I'm curious to see what happens there. Uh, Houston. So as much as we are interested in seeing... CJ Stroud and how he manages an NFL offense with worse receivers than he was throwing at, uh, than, uh, at Ohio state, uh, want to see Nico Collins develop John Mechie tank Dell, all of those things. I'm actually more interested to see how the Houston defense looks under okay. D'Amico Ryan's okay. because their secondary with Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie is really, really good. Those are two really good pieces. Like Jalen Petrie led the, the league in tackles last year. Yeah. The addition of Will Anderson to the middle of that defense 
I'm very curious to see how D'Amico Ryans does with that defense. I think because of not only the schedule that they're going to have, but the pieces that they have and the coach, I think it's going to be one of the better defenses in the league. It's interesting because I don't care about their defense at all. Because I know I, when it's time for them to be good in a couple of years, D'Amico Ryans is going to get them where they need to be. This is essentially a rebuild at college where we're going to take four years to get it right, which is why I'm interested in the offense because they've shown in the preseason that Stroud, you made mistakes, you're throwing picks. We don't care. Get back out there. Keep slinging it. It's almost as if, and I learned this, and we were talking off air that I got you know some contractors at my house and some design work. It, it's almost as if you're getting a, a wall ready and you got to get it you know to prime. You got to rough it in and whatnot. But before that, you're going to paint over it so you can do whatever you want. Hey, kids, you want to take some marker to that wall? Go nuts <laughs> because we're going to paint over it. CJ Stroud is allowed to Sharpie, marker, paint, whatever you want. So I love the fact that they're letting him learn through his mistakes uh, and giving him lots of rope. And in Indianapolis Colts, who we've spent a lot of time on, um, they're going to be an absolute tire fire, I'm pretty sure. And, I mean, they have a projected win total of six and a half, according to Sharp Football Analysis, because I believe they have the sixth easiest schedule in in the league. Um, I'm a gambling man. I'm, I'm pretty sure you are. I would bet heavy on under six and a half wins for the Indianapolis Colts this year? Well, I think a success is, do we have a quarterback? Last eight years, they've had eight different week one starting quarterbacks. This team, we talked about college. This is literally a college team. They have two players that are over the age of 30. We talk about football players descending at 30. They don't have any of them. Yeah, They have no real adults in the room. The one that they have, Jonathan Taylor, is trying to get into any other room but that room. So I think it is going to be a mess. And, I mean, like Jim say, God love him. He's spent more time, you know, trying to literally free a whale this offseason than re-sign his running back. I do like the idea of freeing the whale because I think zoos are, well, I'm not a big fan of zoos. But anyway. I, I, listen, I love the idea of freeing the whale. Uh, it's it just you're sh- showing that you have $20 million to free the whale. Can't pay Jonathan Taylor, though. You get Give your employee $16 million to be a top five running back in the NFL. Okay. Uh, our rankings for the AFC South. Everybody is last, except for the Jags. Everybody's last. Everybody. Uh, Jags one, yes? Yes. Titans two, yes? Yes. Texans three, yes? Yes. And the Indianapolis Colts four, yes? Yes. That's it, two in a row that it, we it, agree on, by if, the way. If, you know, somehow Taylor says, hey, the best way to apologize is money, and he signs a long extension, then maybe I, I could see... The Colts being three and the Texans four, but no, the vibes in those buildings are the exact opposite. Here's one. The Houston Texans will have as many or more wins than the New England Patriots this year. Ooh. No, the Pats are going to have more wins. Okay. That defense alone. Let's bet Let's bet a coffee on it. I mean, how many You coffees? don't drink coffee, though. How many? That's fine. I'll take a coffee gift card. I'll buy one for my wife. How many okay. coffee bets do we have? Are we even keeping track of these? We Is don't it? have that one. That was one. Can we write this down somewhere? Yeah, we'll mark it down. We'll mark it down. So, and I don't even want to cheer for the Pats. So, Pats. Uh, good. Texans. I'm glad I put you in a really tough spot there. Happy with that. We try. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, Mike Yam, host of NFL Total Access on the NFL Network, will join us. We got lots to talk about. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett. This is the Fan Checkdown. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you. And pleased to, pleased to be joined on the line by Mike Yam, host of NFL Total Access on NFL Network, which relaunches Tuesday, September 5th. Uh, NFL Total Access will air Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Mike, how are you today? Doing great, man. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Well, thanks for doing this. First of all, I have to ask this question. This is a non-football related conversation. <laughs> yes, I love because these. Let's do it. <laughs> because you are of Chinese and Italian descent, which I, when I was talking yes. to Donovan, I said literally my because I'm Italian and two of my favorite cuisines are Chinese and Italian. Have you ever <laughs> tried a fusion meal? And what was it if you did? <laughs> First of all, can I just tell you, you're officially my hero because I know exactly where you're going, and I absolutely love it. Uh, of course, fried rice and marinara yes. is the fusion that I would go down. Um, no, I appreciate it, man. It was, a, um, you know, for the audience, it's a it's children's book that just got released. It's been a huge passion project of mine, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. And there, There's just not, at least in my mind, enough stories for kids that – have mixed race families because as you made reference to, I'm Chinese and Italian and there certainly wasn't anything for me when I was a kid um, in that space. And, and I just don't think there's enough for, uh, you know, children who are of Asian descent that have Asian male, you know, characters that are the lead characters in stories. So uh, it was really important. And, and like I said, man, I really appreciate you asking about it. No, no problem. I, I appreciate it as well, but that was not the question that I was going to ask uh, I, because <laughs> I, I do love uh, the fact that there are similarities in terms of the ethnic backgrounds and that really, the, the moms run everything in the household and the family. But what, what oh, I no doubt. what I want to know is, if we're doing power rankings, which food? Oh, you did. Oh, oh yeah, oh, I did. Oh man, I did. I need. I need oh, a an answer. Oh boy, oh boy, you are going to get me in trouble, man. Um, <laughs> Go with so your mother. Let, let's just start at the top. You know, it, it's exactly. So if mom is listening, it's like know your audience, right? So if mom is listening, of course I'm going to say the Italian side. And actually, and that's sort of the premise of the book because you're you're kind of this is why it's it's a fusion because the the story is about a four year old who his mom says, "Hey, what do you want for your birthday?" And it's like this huge stressful dilemma. He doesn't know his Chinese family is going to be there, his Italian family is going to be there, and he doesn't know which food to pick. So you're kind of, you're, you're mimicking the real life dilemma um, that's there, which is why we netted out with fried rice and marinara and refused it. But I think it's just the night, um, you know, and just kind of what, what, what the feel is that particular night. Like, you know, Friday, for whatever reason, Friday has been a heavy pasta night the last couple of weeks, but it, it actually has been Asian cuisine on the weekends. So depending on the day, I will tell you that the power rankings do shift. Good okay. answer. Yeah, very, very political answer, which I love. Is that uh, like the best non-answer answer that I'll good. ever yeah. You, you have life, a future as an NFL GM who just like <laughs> said a lot of words. I was scribbling, and then I went back and transcribed it. You actually said nothing, uh, but thank you. Yeah, no doubt. You said no it doubt. nicely. No doubt. So let's talk about NFL GMs. And Brett Veach, yeah. who's hoping that Chris Jones is going light on the Italian and Chinese cuisine as he's not been <laughs> in camp. But he has a real-life dilemma because he has a player who says, listen, I was the best defensive tackle in football. Quite frankly, look at the on-off numbers on what I did for our defense, 15 and a half sacks. I want to be paid at the top of the market. But at the same time, yeah. he has a locker room that says, Travis Kelsey's not the highest-paid tight end, never mind the fact he puts up receiver numbers, we have a bunch of QBs that now make more than Patrick Mahomes. They have sacrificed for the group. How can I pay Chris Jones? And quite frankly, our offense is better than our defense. 
what does Brett Veach and Andy Reid do, and how do they find a way to, to compromise and work together? So it's a great topic, and it's one that we're actually going to be talking about um, today on Total Access ahead of the Week 1 Thursday night game with the Lions. Because if you said to me, cook up a, a recipe for Detroit, you know, there's some things falling into place for him. And the fact that I don't know if Chris Jones is going to be out there, a huge part of that team and what they do. And I think you raise a really good point because it's not just Kansas city that's dealing with this. Uh, Nick Bosa in San Francisco also in the same conversation right now. And I think the point that you just bring up is a really good one. Like Patrick Mahomes, when he signed that deal, highest paid guy, Travis Kelsey, you have those names that are there. And yet at the same time, there has been some sacrifice from some of these players. It's hard. I mean, he's in the final year of a deal that where he was, you know, relatively well compensated. And I get it. It's a physical sport that at times is dangerous. Injuries happen in this game. And, you know, most of these guys that are going out there every single Sunday want to be paid and compensated accordingly at the market. And you guys, you, got, you know this. There's, there's ego that's involved, and I don't mean this in a bad way or a negative way, but some guys, like if you think that you're the best at a certain aspect of, of NFL football, you want to be paid that way. There's very few guys that I think subscribe to that theory of not trying to get top dollar, and I think it depends on what point of your career that you're in. You know, Aaron Rodgers now, things have shifted for him. You know, I, I'm sure Aaron wanted the biggest deal, and at the time it was when he signed it, and now all of a sudden is willing to give like $25 million or so back to the Jets so that they can go and sign a guy like Dalvin Cook. But he's ring-chasing right now. Tom Brady was sort of the master of doing this and sacrificing for the team. You know, these rosters are large, though, guys. You know, this is not, you know, the NBA, um, you know, where they can manage things a little bit differently. You know, on the NFL, like, there's so many different types of personalities in that locker room. And, you know, it makes me sound maybe like I'm not a team guy, and I'd like to think that I am. But, you know, if I'm Chris Jones and I'm putting my body and sacrificing it um, every single Sunday, I want to be compensated. And I want to make sure that I'm protected, um, you know, my future and my family's future. So I don't begrudge him for trying to get top dollar. Um, but you're right. There has been some sacrifice, and that's what you need to win to win some games if kansas city and i don't know if you agree with this i'm sorry i feel like i'm long-winded here but if kansas city hasn't been a dynasty type team you know does does chris jones go down this path like he's got a ring right like he knows what that experience is like so maybe now for him it's yeah let's add to that legacy i want to roll with you dudes but i want to be paid mike yam from nfl network host of total nfl total access joining us here so it's funny that you say that because when you watch the four falls of Buffalo, which I can't, I can't watch without shedding a tear because I'm a Bills fan, but that's what they talked about. If they had won, that team may not have stuck together as long as they did, yeah. right? And that's a real conversation. The other, the other conversation that I think we should be having, because the spotlight every year is on offensive guys that hold out, but because of the impacts of both Chris Jones and Nick Bosa and what impacts they could have by sitting out yeah. longer because we don't know what the impact of these guys sitting out. We saw what happened when Le'Veon Bell sat out and missed real time. It didn't work for him at the running back position. Sure. This is a different conversation because, you know, yes, there's wear and tear on defensive guys, but should we sh be shedding more of a spotlight on this? Because maybe after week four, if Chris Jones isn't there, or if Nick Bosa is not there after week four, that we're having an entirely different conversation about both the Niners and the Chiefs. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, but I think the circumstances are slightly different for both of these teams, despite the fact that you're talking about the two best defensive players 
on those respective squads. And here's what I mean by that. I think I said this actually earlier this morning. I was um, on a radio show in San Francisco, and I truly do feel like the Nick Bosa story is the most underreported one that we've had over the last few weeks. Like, I don't think there's nearly enough attention to reigning defensive player of the year. Now, clearly that caliber of player is the same as Chris Jones, who is a dominant force at the defensive tackle position. Here's why I think it's different. You mentioned offensive players and everyone focusing in on holdouts and the big names that are there. I agree with you. San Francisco, to me, their identity, for as much as we talk about Kittle and Ayuk and Debo and Christian McCaffrey and the quarterback spot there, I still look at that team as a defensive team. That's, that's their identity in my mind. They got great offensive players, and maybe you could just tell me that, hey, they're really balanced. And, and definitely you can make that argument. But when I think about the Kansas City Chiefs, let's, call it, let's be fair here. I'm not thinking about that team's defense. I'm thinking about Patrick Mahomes. And the luxury that Kansas City has that San Francisco doesn't, if Nick Bosa's not out there, I, I don't know about their chances, guys. I, I, I would be hard-pressed to say, hey, like this team is – one of the elite teams in the NFC. Kansas City, they've gone down this path. When you got Patrick Mahomes, who can clean up essentially everything that happens on the football field, it's a differentiator. And that's why he's making, you know, half a billion dollars when he signed that five hundred million dollar deal. So I think that's why it's it's the same because it's dominant defensive players, but it's different because of their respective teams. Now I'm fascinated about another story that I think is being somewhat underreported, and that is what is going on in the desert of Arizona? Colt McCoy, league average backup, yeah. but a good culture guy, cut essentially yeah. for two QBs that you know don't have a long track record, or in the case of Tunney in the league, and you have Kyler Murray, who's on PUP. But clearly, if you had a you know Sam Hankey version of tanking in the NFL, this would be it. Does Kyler Murray play again for the Cardinals, given the fact that they owe him money on the contracts until age 30, but yet they seem like they're tanking to take a QB in the draft. Yeah, Caleb Williams is the guy that I think everyone in the NFL would love to have and obviously still playing at USC right now in Southern California. I, I'm with you. It's You know what's really tough, and, and you guys, I don't know, I would assume that you would agree with this assessment, but the teams that have so much consistency over time, whether it's the front office or even in their coaching ranks, they're able to weather some of these storms. And I think what's fascinating here about from an Arizona perspective is every few years there's a new regime and then there's a reset. And I look, Kyler Murray is a hell of an athlete. And, you know, at times has flashed as just spectacular on the football field. But you're right. We've we've heard about questions around his leadership when his contract was getting signed. I remember I was doing total access and David Carr was floored by the conversation that was happening about him having to watch film. And I think that set up a narrative that hasn't necessarily been positive for him. And the fact that he hasn't been on the field because of injuries at times, that's not going to help. I do say this. I think there's the majority of the NFL, if they had the opportunity to take Caleb Williams, they would want Caleb Williams because I think he's that good. And I think Arizona's sitting there going, you know what? 
are we in love with this situation as we do a roster reset with a new head coach and, and some changes here from a personnel standpoint? And I think the answer is probably like, no, let's, let's try to figure out how we get better. And maybe the answer is with a new quarterback in Caleb Williams. That said, I, I do think Kyler hits the field at some point this season. And I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic because of how athletic he is. If he's got that explosiveness, you know, post-injury that he had, or excuse me, pre-injury that he had, I think it's going to be a really tough call because I think he's good enough to win some games. Yeah, and that's not what they want. Um, so uh, is there, you know, we know the Arizona Cardinals aren't going to be very good. I think that that seems to be pretty obvious at this point. They look like maybe the worst team in the NFL, uh, or maybe it's not even arguable. When you look around the league, is there a team that you look at going into this season and you say, I have no idea what they are at this point? Wow, that's a good question. I haven't been asked that one. Um you know, there's one team I would throw your way, and I hate to be the guy that says, look at what they did in the preseason. But they were – I was pleasantly surprised by the result. And I think the division had three teams last year, and I, I do think it's a tougher division in the NFC East. The commanders, to me, guys, looked better than I thought they were going to look in the preseason. And Terry McLaurin, I think, is one of the most, if not the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. I'm wondering – if Eric Bieniemy, who now really has the keys to an offense, if he's got some of that Andy Reid pixie dust that he can put on on this team, because they did look better in the preseason games. There was a little bit of fight in them. Defensively, they're still a pretty good team. I don't know if I'm willing to say that they're better than the other teams in that division, and I don't know if this is like the worst answer to your question. Um, off the top of my head, they're the team that sort of pops um, as, as just a squad that, that looked better than I thought, and now I don't know what to make of them because – I, quite frankly, I thought it was going to be rough, tough sledding for them, and now I'm not so sure. I think they can potentially make some noise. And I, I don't know if they're a playoff team, but I think they can ruin some playoff teams' chances. Speaking of playoff teams, when you look at the AFC East, there are four teams who expect oh, yeah. to make the playoffs, and their fan bases do as well. Their ownership groups do as well. And if they don't, it'll be a failure. If you look at the AFC North, I would argue there are three, probably four, teams that expect to make the playoffs and if their fan bases don't see them in the playoffs and their ownership groups don't it'll be a failure mathematically it's impossible for them all to make the playoffs sure which of the the teams in those divisions who if they don't punch a ticket to the postseason we could see some changes Wow. Um, you know, in the AFC East, I'm with you because I actually have been debating this with some other folks here. and we, we go back and forth all the time. Some of our crew here thinks the AFC North is the best division in football. I, I still lean towards the AFC East um, because I'm, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to Bill Belichick because defensively they were so opportunistic a season ago. And I feel good about Bill O'Brien and, and helping Mac Jones. So I'm not ready to write off that squad. And, you know, look, if they don't make the postseason, I, I know there's like some buzz about that, which sort of surprised me. I'm not, well, I mean, Belichick is Belichick. Like even if they lose this year and they're not a postseason team, I don't, I don't see them making changes there. Um, but I, I also don't know if they're going to be a playoff team because of the other three squads that are there. And what you just described in the AFC North, uh, you know, Cleveland has got, they've got some juice here and some people are high on them. I, you know, the Zadarius Smith, um, acquisition to me was huge for that team because now with him and miles Garrett there, that's as good of a one, two punch getting after the quarterback as, as there is in the NFL They're They're on the short list there, you know, and then now you're just kind of hoping you guys mentioned Le'Veon bell, right? Like it was a different circumstance around Deshaun Watson, 
But Watson didn't look good. You know, a couple of years ago when, when he was, you know, wasn't dealing with the controversy and the whole thing, like he was one of the, the, the stars in the league and you really could have the potential to carry a squad. You know, I, I don't know if Cleveland's that team that makes some changes potentially, but I don't even know if they're a playoff team, guys. I, I just, I know some people really like them. And for me, it's more of like, let's prove it and see it on the football field because Cincinnati to me is still, still the squad and, and the gold standard in that division. And from a Pittsburgh perspective, I like the Steelers guys. I think they got a chance and hell Baltimore. Are you kidding me? That's the best offensive unit that Lamar Jackson's ever played with in his career. And all the guy does is win football games. So I, it is tough sledding. I think Cleveland is, it's an uphill battle for them. And I think a little bit of an uphill battle from the Patriots perspective in that division. We both had uh, Cleveland last in that division and out of the playoffs. Yeah. We both had the Steelers ahead. So we are we are on the same page as you. Mike, listen, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Greatly appreciate it. And continued success on NFL Total Access. Uh, we'll be sure to tune in. Yeah, you guys are a pleasure, man. I would love to join you during the season. So give me a shot whenever. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. There he goes. Mike Yam, host of NFL Total Access on NFL Network. Uh, he was a lot of fun. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry. Oh, man, so hungry. What am I eating for dinner? I think chicken. It, it's, yeah, it's either Italian or Chinese now. Yeah, I know. Or both. Fusion style. I wonder if I can convince my wife that we should order Chinese food tonight. Hmm. You know who you know who would not be very good at selling anyone on doing anything? Head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Jonathan Gannon. Boy, that's not, not a good not a good trait for a head coach. Yeah. Uh and you haven't even heard the best yet. This is Jonathan Gannon, Cardinals head coach, new head coach, the guy who uh, nobody liked in Philadelphia by the end of his tenure there as defensive coordinator. This was him on Cardinals Flight Path. It's their in-house documentary-style show. Uh, listen to this. Welcome back. Who drove over here? Quick, let me see your hands. Who took the bus? Did you have fire in your gut? What? Did you? We're here for a reason. Don't get that twisted, okay? We're here for a reason to win games. So if you didn't have that fire in your gut, you better light the fire pretty fast. Be who you are. Just understand, I'm looking for killers. This guy would not be a very good broadcaster because he has zero energy. I've, I tweeted it. I've given better speeches to minor hockey players. You know who does not have fire in their voice? Yeah, Jonathan Gannon. Fire in your gut. That sounds like <laughs> who drove my favorite. Who drove here? Who took the bus? Like what? How is that relevant? I don't think anyone on that team took the bus. I don't think they're tapping their presto to get to the facility. Whatever the Cardinals lines are, whether it's week one, whether it's season props, give me give the under. All yes, the time. I'm going against the cards in all things. Thank you. I made my survivor pick for me. They are, I, it feels like they are what, remember when the Miami Dolphins, would they go one and 15 or whatever it was? Yes. And the Lions, when they went, Lions went 0 and 16, they right? They sure did, yeah. It does feel like that's how bad this is going to get. Because I can't imagine a situation where Kyler Murray plays any games. Well, he would be a reason why you would win, at least a couple. Well, the issue is, if he plays, he might get hurt. Correct. And if he gets hurt, then his salary is guaranteed. And one, they don't want that. But two, and that's a lot of video games he can. Play. They need to theoretically move on from him and that contract and, and his presence in the building to give the team over to Caleb Williams. 
And if he is hurt, it's much more difficult to trade him or convince someone to trade for him. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he plays, but I also don't know if and when he's healthy, you just broadcast the fact that you're openly not trying to win football. I mean, that's what they've done with their offseason, but it's a little bit more obvious when you're not starting your starting QB. Jonathan Gannon was putting James Conner to sleep. Like, if you watch the video, James Conner looks like he he looks at and when he's talking, it's kind of like, oh, my God, are we really doing this? Uh, so here's a, here's one for you because uh, we only have a couple minutes left. The Arizona Cardinals are seven-point dogs against the Washington Commanders in week one. Now, look- Washington's at home, but still. And, and looked good in the preseason. Listen, I was looking at that hard. For my week one survivor pick. And I'm like, am I really going to go with the commanders and potentially be out week one? But look at the quarterback room for the Cardinals. How can you go anywhere else? Yeah, I would I would probably buy a half point, but I would, pro- I would probably play that one because I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I think that the Cardinals are that bad. They're going to be double-digit dogs in more than half of their games this year. My, my prediction. Maybe well, I'll stream them in Survivor. Just pick whoever they're playing. Or pick, and even in fantasy, pick the defense that's playing against them. Right. I picked up Washington for week one in one of my leagues because I had no choice. Uh, quickly, somebody asked, is Jonathan Gannon going to be this year's Nathaniel Hackett? Ooh. No. I don't think so either. But time will tell. I didn't think Nathaniel Hackett Denver was Denver had that expectations. Guy Arizona does not. They have zero expectations, and that's exactly what I said. And they have a way worse roster in Arizona. That's it for this week, the first week of the Fan Checkdown. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you to Luke behind the glass today, spinning the tunes for us, pushing those buttons, and my co-host, Donovan Bennett. Uh, what a wonderful week. We will be back on Tuesday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Subscribe to the pod. Have a wonderful weekend. Talk to you on Tuesday.